Hey everyone, you're listening to the Career Quest podcast created out of the Career Center. We will explore and discuss a variety of topics such as inspirational stories of Northwest students, work relevant skills for today's workforce, insights into organizations and their hiring practices, employment and labor market trends, and much, much more. We want to support students by maximizing empowerment through education and experience. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 11 of the Career Quest podcast. Today, we have Major Smith with us to talk about leadership. Major Smith is a commanding officer of one military police regiment, and we are so excited to have him today. Thank you for being here, Jeremy. No, certainly. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's quite an honor. We actually worked really hard to make this happen today, to get together and make this podcast happen. The universe was against us. It did feel personal. We have had to reschedule maybe four times, but we're here and I'm feeling good. Hey, that's good. Yeah. Sometimes leadership gets in the way um, and that's kind of uh, just the way that it goes. So Jeremy, I have some questions for you. Yeah, you bet. So tell us about yourself and your own career journey leading to where you are now. Yeah, so uh, I guess my career, if you will, started at the age of 16, uh, working in Sobeys, um, the grocery store, just putting stuff on shelves. Um, But I guess that was kind of my first influential um, aspect of leadership and and management. Um, And I will talk about it being in a negative light um, because it's important to harness um, the negative aspects of leadership as well and how it impacts people. Um, so I did work for somebody who um, was less than was less than excited about their their managerial position. And, you know, that really prompted me to have a look at, hey, um, I don't want to be that type of leader. I don't want to be that type of manager. Um, and then we fast forward. I go through university and, uh, you know, I get released out into the world uh, at, at the ripe age of, of 22 and uh, immediately go into a a, a very hierarchical organization um, working with the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. So I was actually, I started off my career as a nuclear security officer uh, with my role being to mostly just ensure that uh, safety and security uh, through personnel screening, x-rays and explosive detection, et cetera, um, to allow access control into um, the nuclear power plant. So that was a very hierarchical position where I was first exposed to some fantastic leadership. Uh, so much so that I decided that that contract, I would try and turn it into a, a full-time job uh, very early in my, my life. Um, so that's sort of the impact that, uh, you know, that I saw is, you know, I want to be that leader. I want to, I want to emulate that and I want to take my own leadership uh, abilities and I want to apply theirs to mine as well to make it work. So I stayed there for um, the better part of seven years. I became a nuclear security uh, or sorry, a nuclear response force member, uh, which was a basically a big swap team in a, in a nuclear power plant. So that's how I started off my career. And then I found myself as I got a little older, you know, into my mid twenties, I'll say it's not quite old, but, uh, as I got a little bit older, I worked with the majority of, you know, um, 30 to 40 year old members and realized that maybe things weren't as great as they could have been, I guess. 
Um, so yeah, I, I found myself sitting in a locker room thinking to myself and discussing with my peers that if they would just make these types of changes or if leadership really understood what it was like to be out here doing um, the things that they're asking us to do, it, it could be so much better. Um, and that kind of prompted me or inspired me to have a look at my own life and say, what do I, what do I want to do when I grow up? Because I don't think it's this anymore. And, and so, you know, as we ebb and flow through good leaders, bad leaders, back to good leaders, and sometimes uh, in some cases, in most cases, I should say, um, we really start looking at how can we influence it? Um, so I decided at that point to go talk to my watch commander and say, I, I don't think this job's for me. And he said, you should join the military police. I said, well, <laughs> that sounds insane. Um, but he said, well, you've always wanted to be a cop. You know, you're extremely intelligent. You applied yourself very well with this organization. We understand that it's, it's just not for a young hard charger like yourself. He said, why don't you, why don't you look at it? Um, so I did. Uh, and then I went home and I talked to my mother who of course, uh, supported me but also dissuaded me uh, all the like because that meant I was going to take her only granddaughter possibly out of the province of New Brunswick <laughs> but um and then talked to my family about it and we said let's let's go after it let's let's go after it and so that's how I found myself um you know in the Canadian forces to begin with um and then of course in the military police trade um starting my career in Wainwright as a what we would call a platoon commander so um running a a, a detachment of police officers um, that uh, contribute to the security safety police and uh and discipline uh on base wainwright which is about two and a half hours east of edmonton here so uh, and then from there moved into another leadership position uh, managing all of the platoons within um within our area of responsibility so um yellow knife uh, and uh in all of the north and everything from Thunder Bay to lower mainland BC for, for the army. So it really allowed me to move through uh, different leadership functions and you know, I'll talk about it in a little bit, but really allowed me to, to hone my leadership skills, I guess. Um, I, I tend to think that there's a, a vast percentage that is innate to the individual. Um, you know, and I say it, for me, it was about, you know, 70, 30. So about 70% of, of my leadership style is is innate it's who i am it's who i you know it's my morals it's my understanding of life and then the other 30 percent is learned and that's where we can really leverage the the bad leaders and the good leaders so i don't want to be that individual or i want to emulate that individual mm -hmm. and now here i am commanding um one of the biggest organizations within the CAF, well at least in the mp trade military police trade um, and uh, loving every minute of it having the opportunity to help um, our members both move through their leadership, um, find themselves as very young uh, members within within the Canadian forces, and and kind of being able to share my story to help them along to say you don't have to settle for what you believe or what you were told is leadership because a lot of it is is inherently personal. So um, that's that's how I got here, and uh, like I said, I, I enjoy every day. I love that. Um, I already. And feeling inspired by so many things that you have said and finding myself wanting to like say a bunch of stuff also. Uh, but I, I definitely resonate with uh, learning about leadership through the leadership that I have experienced. Things that I'm like, that really does not feel good for me or good leadership. Like, um, for example, in my current role, I have amazing leadership and I find myself learning so much about leadership so quickly um, just in seeing 
what's being modeled. It's interesting as well that you say that some of it is inherent. Myself as an individual, I am not authoritarian. Like I'm very much respecting people's individual agency. Like things should be a conversation all about communication. And that feels kind of just like who I am. But then as far as, um, I don't know, skills on how to implement that, I feel like I'm definitely learning that through witnessing it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that last piece is, is probably the most important piece um, for anybody that's going into a leadership position. It, it's not one application of leadership is going to fit every, every job or every team. Um, you almost need to be a quasi chameleon um, in some senses uh, when you're a leader. And I don't mean that in a sneaky or, or manipulative way, <laughs> um, more so in the sense that you, your leadership is 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 kind of it's multifaceted. It's it's, it's both tailored to you and how you foresee, um, you know, the, the institution or the organization in which you're leading, uh, moving towards, and how you can really contribute to that. But it's also, you know, the actual definition of of leadership is to, you know, um, you know without going into Google or anything, you know, it's, this is Jeremy's opinion, of course, is 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 the organization or management of people. Um, and that in and of itself, you can't sway the organization or the institution if the people aren't behind it. Um, so really, it's that connection and the interrelational aspects of leadership. While they can be, um, it can be a fine line, you know, especially in a hierarchical organization like the Canadian Forces. That being said, we're lead, we're, you know, we're leading teams towards a common goal, and we're leading them in the interest of the institution or the business or the, or the organization. So it's really multifaceted. You can't apply the same methods of leadership with every team and you can't apply the same method of leadership with every organization either. Um, so you quasi gotta have a look at it. And, and to be quite honest, there's, there's a, there's a best practice that I followed and it was, it was from a mentor of mine at a very early age, just sit and watch for a month. <laughs> and he just said, oh. and then, figure out what your team needs and then apply that to what the organization or the institution needs. Because if you walk in and you say, I'm going to do all these things, that team's already established and you're taking over the leadership aspect of it. Um, and you don't know where they're going and you don't want to halt their, you know, uh, their progress mid, mid, uh, you know, mid execution. So sit back and watch for a month, then figure out what needs to be, you know, what, what, what application of leadership does this specific team need in, in relation to where the institution or the organization needs to go? So yeah. it was probably a, a pretty invaluable piece of advice that, that I could probably download to, to, to the viewers uh, or the listeners, sorry. And, and just say that just, it's, it's okay to not make an impact right away. It's okay to walk in and say, and tell be, be very overt about it. Say, I'm just going to sit back and watch. And I'd like you as, as the team leaders or, um, you know, right down to the, you know, what I would call the doers, the ones that are out there doing the work, um, you know, harness that, harness, harness their opinion, because I think that opinion is going to give you a lot of um, indication as to what um, methods of leadership that you need to apply. Um, perhaps you have an extremely strong team, like I was blessed with when I got to, to Wainwright, um, and they just knew how to do what they were doing. Of course, they always, you know, we can always do better. We can always improve. We can always change, you know, um, whether it's, whether it's our, our level of skill or level of knowledge, um, 
culture change is a big one that we 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 really are are moving through right now, both from the Canadian Forces, which I'm sure if anybody watches the news, we you know we're in the midst of some very positive culture change. Um, that's that's all ultra necessary. Um, you know, us in our chosen profession are going through a lot of changes as well. Um, as it relates to the post-George Floyd era, uh, in a sense that we're attempting to reestablish and trust in, in, in the communities in which we serve. So there's there's always work to be done, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. Um, even if you have a strong team that's a strong performer, uh, performance-based um, uh, entity, you know, there's still always something to do from a leadership perspective. Thank you for sharing all that. I really love what you say about um, stopping and observing at first, I, I think that that puts the emphasis on, on listening and, um, it's a humble stance of saying, how can I best be of service to this team, which I think is so important for, uh, leadership to see that, you know, there's a a way for you to occupy your role and be of service to the team. Uh, and I think listening is a big part of that. I know when I came onto my team, my supervisor, asked me point blank, um, what, how do you like to be supervised? What kind of leadership style works for you? And that was, uh, so amazing for me to be able to say, cause I know, I know what works for me. So for me to be able to communicate that, um, was really empowering. So that was really great. I have to ask you, even though I'm sure maybe we've already seen some glimpses into this, but what would you say is your personal leadership philosophy and how do you emulate that in your current role? Yeah, I guess it's always, it really goes back to sitting in the locker room um, and saying, you know, what's, you know, what management looks at is, is, is the business aspect of it, the leadership aspect of it. Um, but it's not always exactly the ground truth is, you know, that's how we would say it. It's not always, it's not always super apparent to them what will actually make or empower um, the rest of the team to, to actually do the job that we're asking them to do. So, so really it's lead how you would like to be led. So it's, it's interesting that you said, you know, uh, you had the opportunity to share your, you know, share how you enjoy being supervised and that's it. It's, it's, it's lead how you would like to be led. Um, don't make uh, the biggest part of it is, 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 you know, the decisions that I make impact many um, and therefore to not have the input of many, um, not only undercuts their ability to to grow as leaders as well, um, it also undercuts the whole purpose and potentially puts us behind. Um, and you know, because the it's been a long time since I've had a, a patrol uniform on and been in a car. Um, you know, it's been upwards of six years, unfortunately, um, which is both. Uh, <laughs> Policing is very near and dear to my heart, so um, I try and stay connected to it. But um, I don't know what's going on on the road anymore. Therefore, what what really gives me the, the you know what gives me the right to make decisions that impact the day to day work of somebody else without having them have the input. Um, so how I apply that is is through the process of communicate communication in 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 not just communication in the sense of, hey, tell me how you feel about this decision and, and what are the impacts. It's, it's a constant state of, in, of communication. Um, you know, there was a, and I, and forgive me, I don't, I don't know who termed the quote, but, it, it, you know, it, in quotations, it says connect first. And that's sort of my motto, connect first. Um, and the, the remainder of that quote is, and your leadership will be a gift and not a threat. Uh, so to me, that 
that really speaks volumes is, is, you know, a, applying the interrelational humanistic aspect of leadership before um, the institutional importance of, of leadership. I, I think that's so important. Connect first. It's such a powerful way to say it, uh, but that has to be at the core of leadership. And I think, of course, in, you know, an occupational sense, but I also think just in a, a life sense in general, like for example, parenting, or I was working at one point uh, with at-risk youth and I really found relationship was the thing that mattered above everything else. Um, and if I had a good relationship with a youth and they trusted me, then uh, they would they would trust what I had to say and things would go pretty smoothly, but it had to be that connection before anything else. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's innately human, really, it, it is what it comes down to. Um, you know, I talked about the 70-30 split for me. Um, that could be higher for some. Some, some people naturally just have great leadership sense. Um, it, you know, and, and it, age is not uh, relational uh, to that. I've seen some young members come out of um, our, our, our academy uh, ready to lead, and they're just naturally born leaders. Um, but it doesn't really work. If you don't have the interpersonal skills to go along with it and the interpersonal skills will elicit trust like they will in any relationship. So I guess you could you could say that there's a significant psychological aspect to um, leadership in itself. You have to understand the people and you have to understand humans and their behavior and what motivates them and what inspires them and, and what their purpose is in order to effectively lead them. Yes, 100 percent. Okay, I have to ask, how does your leadership philosophy align with the institutional philosophy of leadership? And how do you navigate any discrepancies between the two? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. You know, I talked about the inherent culture change that was happening within the Canadian forces. Um, and along, along those same lines is we're really moving towards an emotionally intelligent manner of leadership. Um, and therefore, mine is starting to actually kind of shoehorn itself in there. That draconian thought of leadership is, um, you know, do as I say, um, which historically in the CAF had to be, you know, when we talk about World War One, World War Two, the Korean War that we all participated in as the CAF members, um, there was a different level of um, personnel and a different level of understanding at that point for what, what leadership was. You follow direction. Um, you don't challenge directly. Um, whereas now, um, you know, for instance, in my, my, uh, in my organization, so the regiment that, that I lead, um, all members, notwithstanding um, their rank, have to have some form of either college degree uh, or a university degree. So I deal with educated people, uh, and I you know, don't joke about it when I say that some of them are smarter than I am from, a, from an academia, academia standpoint. So academically, I have a, a very um, diverse group of individuals um, that I've been had the honor to, to lead. So at the end of the day, we're, we're moving kind of transitioning through a more draconian model of, of leadership into this more emotionally intelligent leadership. I'm slowly aligning, I guess, is what I'm saying um, with the the institution's philosophy on leadership, um, but it does have a generational aspect to it as well, in the sense that 
for instance, my regimental sergeant major, who's my uh, my right hand man. Um, you know, he's an advisor in all things discipline and morale, welfare. Uh, you know, he's got 33 years in the Canadian forces, and he has seen progressive change in how leadership uh, is applied. We don't innately have the same by, by by virtue of the fact that he's you know, a little later in his life, and I'm not as late as he is. Uh, I won't won't say how old he is, but um, you know, it's we have innate, innately different looks on things. Um, so there still is a generational aspect towards that progressive change in the institutional philosophy on leadership. Uh, and once we continue to, to navigate that change and, and grow and, and um, you know, experience that, that culture change in leadership, it really is um, coming out on the other end, a very polished uh, manner of, of applying leadership. But there are discrepancies. Yeah, you're right. Your question nailed it uh, in a sense that um, there's always going to be conflict. People aren't always going to uh, innately sign on to what your leadership model is. Um, and, you know, it's some people don't enjoy the fact that I will go directly to, you know, um, one of our corporals, who, which is our working rank on the front line, um, and have a discussion with them about something that affects them, right? There's a chain of command to follow and that, that chain of command must be followed. And, you know, that's just how they've grown up through the Canadian forces and that leadership model that, 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 that gets applied. You know, there's a chain of command for a reason. Okay, all right, got it. Um, but to me as a leader, while discipline and, um, you know, adherence to standards and policies and, and certain cultural things within the Canadian forces is, is the of utmost importance in order to maintain discipline. There's some things that really affect the person. Um, and if it was my decision that affected that person, then I would like to discuss it with them directly. So they have an understanding so that perhaps I can reorient my direction um, or my decision, um, understanding the full, uh, full scale of what they're bringing towards, um, you know, the issue, uh, instead of that communication being lost through the nature of the chain of command. It's, uh, it's like the telephone game, you know, at the other end, it isn't going to be what came out of the individual's mouth. So, you know, those things create a little bit, and I won't say dissension, because that's a pretty strong word, but it, but it creates the ability, though. So the innate frictions that that causes, actually, on the other end, elicits growth. So the why, right? Historically, in the Canadian forces, you never really questioned direction or authority or anything. But at the same time, if you transition towards the why, you know, why did they make this decision? Or why is this important and on the other side? Um, then, then we get the full scope of an understanding. And that just really reverts back to what we just discussed in the sense that it's about the human. Um, and that's really what we're leading is a human. So for them to be inquisitive, and I talked about, you know, um, a lot of my members being educated and highly educated in some senses, they have that inquisitive mind. They challenge things just by virtue of growing through the education system and being told, you know, um, you need to, oh, you looked at an Argo. Is there another article that may conflict with this? And why does it conflict? And which one is right? <laughs> so, you know, which is innately human. Maybe it's taught. Maybe people are just inquisitive. Um, so why not allow them to question it if I'm not going to give them the why? And then what it comes back to is the purpose, right? Purpose. People will do things if they feel as though they have a purpose or that it's going to go towards the greater good. Um, and I always use the example with my, my leadership cadre is if I look at a soldier and say, I need you to move these sandbags 50 meters that way, 
they're going to do it. They will do it because they're good soldiers and they follow direction, lawful order. Um, but if I say, I need you to move those sandbags from this location, 50 meters to the right, because we're now going to try and save this individual's home from flooding out in the basement. And I've given them a purpose. I've given them the why they can be proud of what they're doing. And that's where that, that change needs to come. Right. And for, for me personally, um, is, is giving our, our members the why giving them a purpose to go out and do what they do every day, because we do ask a lot of them on a very, very regular basis, not just here in Canada, but also uh, domestically uh, in support of uh, the interests of Canada. So um, the least I can do is give them the why, I guess. And, yes. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. If you can't give someone the why, then is it something that you should be asking of them? Another thing that was really important for me um, working with youth was, you know, it's healthy to have critical thought and to be inquisitive. And that's something you want to encourage in people. And if I couldn't explain to someone why a rule was in place or why something had to be done, then maybe I shouldn't be asking that of them in the first place. The concept of emotionally intelligent leadership really resonates for me because it is humans that you're working with. And so emotional intelligence is going to be an important piece. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any advice for students or staff listening who might be considering a leadership position in their career? And how could someone know if leadership is right for them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's there's space for all different types of leaders. So I, I talked a little bit about generational leadership before. Uh, I didn't really elaborate on it, but how you lead those individuals and how they lead is is innately based off their generational um, views and morals and experience. Um, but anybody that's looking to break into um, the leadership position, I was not a leader before I joined the Canadian Forces. So like I said, some of it is inherent and some of it is taught. Um, there's millions of books out there and I've read quite a few uh, about leadership. But um, at the end of the day, you know, we are all either leaders within our organization or potential future leaders. And that's something that people need to understand is while, you know, it, it's tough to break into that managerial aspect, there's innate leadership qualities that can may be inherent to you or something you've learned where you're working in small team environments that make you stand out as a leader. You know, you're by virtue of just normal um, group dynamics, uh, you may find yourself in a leadership position in something so simple as a group project at school, right? All of a sudden you'll find yourself being the one that organizes the meetings, um, create the agenda, um, keep everybody on track, make sure they've got all the checks off the box from the, uh, from the rubric maybe like, it, People, people are leaders, whether they realize it or not. And I think that's that's what I tell all my members. You know, you're either a leader or a future leader within this organization, um, not by virtue of time in or by virtue of rank, but you have the opportunity working in small groups to, to stand out as a leader and really move yourself forward. So um, I guess the biggest thing is if you're looking to or you're interested in, you know, leadership or management within your respective um, trades or skill sets, be that leader right off the hop. Um, be the leader if that's a, if that's a goal. Um, then be the leader right from the start and start learning about leadership qualities and start 
looking at the human uh, side of it. Uh, a couple of great books I can I can I can recommend. Uh, one is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I mean, I enjoy all of her books. She's a highly highly intelligent lady that uh, does some great work. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Brene Brown. <laughs> yes, good. Um, and the next one's Radical Candor uh, by Kim Scott. No, oh, sorry. Yes, Kim Scott. She talks about her time in Silicon Valley. So I don't read military leadership books uh, just by a general rule because um, that's somebody else's opinion of how the leader, how, how the military should be led. Sure, there's there's some great things in there, um, but I find more great takeaways from business leaders um, because they work in that space on a day to day basis. So, you know, Kim Scott worked in Silicon Valley. She worked for Google. She worked for Apple. Um, and you know she really challenges the normative approach to dealing with small teams, being big teams, and, and the whole aspect of radical candor. If you break them down by definition, they don't really fit together. So radical, so that extreme or candor, and that's that honesty, extreme honesty. Oh wait, now now it fits. Okay, so that's the thing is is being honest with people, right? Challenging directly. Um, but maintaining that level of trust and interrelational empowerment within a group. It, it's, it's really, again, I don't want to get into yes. propping up these individuals' books, but get out there, get reading. Um, you know, there's nothing precluding you from doing that extra work on the side. Now, sometimes it takes me months to get through a book just by you know, virtue of my uh, both uh, professional and personal life, but I get through them and, and I get something out of all of them. And, and, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have an audio book, then you can always go back and look or highlight mm -hmm. while you're reading along. So, you know, get out there, put yourself in the position, be uncomfortable. And that's my, my next, uh, my next advice is, is be uncomfortable. Don't hesitate to be uncomfortable. Um, being a leader is uncomfortable every day. Uh, making decisions that impact people do not come naturally to, you know, um, to some people. Um, having to make um, policy decisions, it, it really all is uncomfortable. It is for me because I know they impact people and that's sort of at the root of everything we do if you're noticing a bit of a trend here. Um, so, you know, be be comfortable being uncomfortable and, and that's hard, you know, having those um, conflicts between, you know, employees or peers, um, you know, find ways to navigate those in a, in the most comfortable way possible, no matter how uncomfortable you are, you know, and then don't, you know, don't dissuade yourself from your own being to meet the needs or uh, of others, if it doesn't make sense for, for the group, you know, we, we get into these conundrums on a daily basis. And sometimes we don't even realize until you come out of it and you go, that was a very uncomfortable or anxiety inducing, um, conversation that I had there. And, uh, you know, just get comfortable having those because as a manager or as a leader, you're, you're going to have them every day, every day, every day, mm -hmm. every day, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and then at the end of the day, don't hesitate to make mistakes. Um, from a very young age, it's how we grow. It's how we learn. Um, you know, you tell a child not to touch the stove because it's hot. They probably believe you because you're their parent, but at the end of the day, until they touch the stove and it's hot and they get burnt, they don't realize that, okay, there's a lot of validity to what mom or dad said. So from a very young age, we actually learn by family. And, and that's, 
what I tell my members, you're not going to be perfect. You're a human. Um, there's 9 million policies that we can apply and best practices in policing. Um, and you'll have the exact same in your own organizations. Um, you're still not going to get it right every day. Um, you know, I make mistakes every day, but learn from them. Right. Um, and that's the biggest thing is learn, learn from your mistakes. So yeah, just to sort of sum up, like go after it. If you want to, if you want to get it, go after it because um, until you go after it, you're never going to get it. And at the end of the day, be comfortable being uncomfortable and um, don't hesitate to make mistakes. That's amazing. Um, I love everything that you have to say. I have one final question for you. Sure. What is it that you love about the work that you do? Oh, wow. I mean, there's so many things, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it, it's truly the people. Uh, and I say that from, um, you know, uh, a very personal perspective is, is, you know, my boss, uh, you know, those that, that, that enable us or support us from Ottawa, um, they give us the space to, to grow and to learn and they mentor and coach uh, because they've all been here at one point, uh, you know, that's the hierarchical and then being able to positively influence people. Um, and I think that's the best thing for me is, is just really influencing people for the better, uh, showing them that change does not have to align with, um, you know, solely institutional standards. They give us the opportunity to grow and create our own space in that, uh, in that respect. A lot of our policies are, are very broad and general in nature um, in that, you know, in the military we call mission command, but it, in essence, it's empowering the next level down to do the job they need to do with very um, personal uh, influence and, and having that ability and, and watching uh, our members in the regiment grow on a day-to-day -day basis and learn and succeed, I guess is the big thing. Um, but being there to kind of prop them up when they, when they, when they need it, when they do fail, give them that sage uh, advice to, on how to move forward and, and how to, you know, pull the, pull the lessons learned out of there. I, I think uh, for me, it's just, it's really the people and, and being in a position to create positive change and uh, not hesitating to do it as uncomfortable as it can be sometimes yeah. uh, to go against some of the normative ideas of leadership. So yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Jeremy. Um, I think you're a really special person <laughs> and I'm just so glad that you are in the leadership role that you're in. And I know that you and people like yourself are making a really positive impact and hopefully pulling our world and our various cultures and subcultures in a positive direction with our leadership styles. So thank you for everything that you have to say today. And I'm just so excited for anybody who got to listen to this podcast, because uh, I know that everybody's going to have something pretty cool to take away. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. It uh, it's very meaningful. And uh, you know, if uh, if any of the listeners out there want to track me down, I'm sure Tyra can uh, can help us out uh, getting connected to to further the discussion if if anybody's interested. So, um, I was afforded this opportunity at a very young age to be mentored by some fantastic leaders, uh, both in and out of the Canadian Forces, um, and uh, it's it's truly something else to have that. Uh, not even a mentorship, but that peer support aspect to bounce ideas off of. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not far away. I'm in Edmonton as well. So it's, uh, it's uh, the active offer is always out there. And if someone was to want to reach out to you for a mentorship type of opportunity or with questions, uh, how would they connect with you? 
Yeah, you bet. Um, email is probably the best way to go. It's uh, J-E-R-E-M-Y dot Smith, S-M-I-T-H, five at forces dot G-C dot C-A. Amazing. And I'll put that in the show notes as well for everybody, if you're okay with that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeremy. No, thanks for your time and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Career Quest podcast. You can connect with the Career Center by emailing us at careercenter at norquest.ca or by visiting our webpage, norquest.ca slash careercenter.